You know, I've been thinking for the last couple of days, uh, and I'm, I'm just sharing a little personal testimony with you, how fulfilled I feel in my life right now. I started pastoring when I was 20 years old. I had wonderful, 25 wonderful years at Cottage Hill Baptist. But you know, these to me are the greatest days of of my ministry. Uh, I I don't know. It's just the fact that uh, I know each of you and, and can be personally involved in your lives. And uh, it's just very, very fulfilling to me. It's not a job. It, it is not a job. It's just a joy to be able to minister to people, to love people, to love God, and just be a part of His church. And so I, I'm so thankful and so grateful to God for the opportunity that He's given me during these days. I want you to open your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Matthew, this is a very familiar passage, but it's so appropriate for the day in which we're living. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but a a couple of weeks ago, uh, they had a tax break weekend so you could buy supplies for storms. Now, I knew they had one before people went to school, and they had a tax break if you buy school supplies. But now this tax break, no sale tax, if you would buy supplies to get you ready for the storm. Batteries, flashlights, generators, bottled water, whatever it was. I wonder how many of y'all took advantage of that. Y'all don't prepare for storms. (laughs) The day I prepare is when it's coming and everything's sold out. But isn't it amazing? We know there's a possibility, but we didn't take it seriously. We just didn't prepare for the storm. My first experience with a hurricane was in uh, 1979 when Frederick came through Mobile came right over our house. I don't know if it hit any other house in the city, but it came right over ours. I remember we were in the hallway. It was me and Ann and Mark and his wife and, and, and my younger son, Jeff. We were in the hallway covered up with mattresses. And it felt like the house was just going to explode. And for some reason, Jeffrey got real bold. He said, it's nothing to it. And so he gets up and goes and gets in the bed. About that time, a tree hits a house. You've never seen a man move as fast as he did. <laughs> he was under the mattress quicker than you'd ever see. I never will forget after that storm that people were testifying how God protected them. I and he did. And they were testifying that their houses were surrounded by trees, you know, everywhere. And, and that, man, not one tree fell on their house. And, and, and I believe them. They said, God just sent angels. Just to protect us and to keep the trees off our house. And it occurred to me that I had eight trees on my house. And I said, Lord, you ran out of angels before you got to me. I never have forgot that. But I want to talk to you today about uh, what Jesus had to say about storms. 
And so let's look in the seventh chapter. And, and, and he talks about storms. It not says if we have storms personally, but how to get, you know, how do you deal with them? So we see in uh, Matthew 7, 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew. Man, it was a storm and beat on that house. And it did not fall. It stood because it was founded on a rock. But whoever, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the winds blew. The floods came and beat upon the house and it fell And great was its fall. Now Jesus did not say, if you have storms in your life. No, Jesus said, you're going to have storms. The wind's going to blow. The rain's going to come. The floods are going to rise. So you better be sure that you're prepared for the storm. And you know what he said? Let me tell you how you know you're prepared. If you hear what I've told you, if you heard what I taught you, and you received it, and you obeyed it, you know what you did? You built your house on a rock. And when your storm comes, and your winds blow, and your flood comes, he said, you're going to stand. You're going to stand. Because you heard what I said and you obeyed it. But then he said on the other hand. Now. But now if you hear what I say. And you don't do it. You're not going to be ready when the storm comes. And, and, and when the wind comes. And the rain comes. And the floods come. You, 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 you're just going to collapse. You're not going to be able to deal with it. You're not going to be able to handle it. So I got to thinking. What you and I need to do is we need to be sure that we have heard what Jesus said. And we need to be sure that we have done what Jesus said. It's called obedience. And then when the storms come, they may be rough storms. They may be times of recovery even from the storm. But you come through. Because Jesus either calms the storm or his grace and power carry you through the storm. So I just got to thinking, man, uh, you don't wait till you're in the storm to try to get ready. You, You don't do that. You prepare long before it comes. So I took two, two sayings of Jesus that I think we ought to apply and be sure. Well, I know this brother Fred, I've done that. I heard what Jesus said. That's a part of my daily life. And whatever storm comes into my life, I'm going to stand. Because I have heard the words of Jesus and I've obeyed them. You know, the amazing thing, the two statements are the two truths 
that I want to show you that have got to be a part of your life. If you're going to stand in the storms, are built on the great commandment. You remember a lawyer on one occasion asked Jesus, Lord, what is the great commandment? Well, Jesus answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. So he said, the great commandment is you have an intimate relationship with God. And then he said, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You you know, the two teachings that I believe are the surest foundation for the storms we face is, first of all, that we have a strong, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We've got to love God with all our heart. And, And that's foundational. But the second part of that commandment is... We've got to love our neighbor as ourselves. So I want to talk to you about two things. One, your relationship with God. And two, your relationship with others. And those have to be right if you're going to stand the storms of life. You know what God teaches us in his word? And it's so hard for us to understand. Oh, we can say the words, but man, living it, And saying it are two different things. As I understand the sayings of Jesus, and that's just what I'm going to look at, what he said. Jesus taught us that there had to be a total dependence on him. That we had to totally depend on him in every area of our life and as our strength. Why is it that that he was so clear Man, now you've got to depend on me, and you've got to look to me for your life and your strength. Why is it that it's so hard for us to get to that point, and that we just deal all the time with being independent? Well, you know, I'm pretty strong. And uh, I I think I could handle most anything that came into my life. And you know what we battle? We don't realize it, but I'm telling you it's the truth. We battle this idea, well, of independence. Well, I want to live my life the way I want to live it. And I want to live it in my wisdom and my strength and my power. Now, you you don't say that, but I'm going to tell you when you find out that's where you are, it's when the bottom falls out. And everything that's been nailed down comes loose. You say, man. What am I going to do? Because, you know, you've been independent. And you've been self-sufficient. You have not been looking to Jesus to be your life and to be your strength. And and that's exactly (coughs) what he taught us over and over again. It's dangerous to be independent. You're supposed to be God-dependent. It's dangerous to be self-sufficient. You're supposed to be Christ-sufficient. Well, I'll tell you, Brother Fred, when the storms come, I I will depend on God. A little bit late for that. You can, but you're not ready. You know, Jesus taught the exact opposite of independence and self-sufficiency. 
Listen to what he said in Luke chapter 9, verse 27. Now, he is just absolutely slaying independence and self-sufficiency. He said, if anyone would come after me, if any of you want to be my disciple, if anyone would come after me, then deny yourself. Deny yourself. Independence, self-sufficiency. Deny yourself. Take, up, take your place on the cross every day. And you just come and follow me. I mean, that just puts the, cuts the heart out of independence. Deny yourself. Take your place on the cross. And come and follow me. And then he says in the next verse. Boy, he really hits self-sufficiency and independency right in the head when he says, If you seek to save your life. It's my life, I'm strong, I'm self-sufficient, I'm independent, I'm going to do it my way. He said, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you give it up to me. That's what it means. doesn't mean you die. If you give up running your own life and controlling your own life, and if you give up being self-sufficient and independent, if you lose your life, you will find it. And so the word of God is clear that we're not self-sufficient individuals <coughs> and that we're not independent, that we're to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. Do you know what the Bible says? Now, th this is amazing. Talking about most people that we know in America and in this world, they're independent and self-sufficient. And then when the storms come, they, they're going to fall apart. But you know, and I, gr I would grieve over that. But you know, Paul had a, a particular storm that followed him everywhere he went. It was called his thorn in the flesh. Some people say that word thorn is messenger. And that everywhere Paul went, there was somebody that was going to oppose him and afflict him. And I, I believe that the thorn in the flesh could have been a messenger because Paul spent most of his time in jail, most of his time being whipped, most of his time being stoned, and most of his time being run out of town. That's exact. You read the book of Acts, you just read it. He, he was constantly, but he said, Lord, would you just take away this thorn? I, I'm, I'm tired of this storm. Will you just take it away? God said, no. And then he asked him again, Lord, will you just take away this storm? He said, no. So Paul prayed, well, Lord, you know, uh, I can get along fine without this storm. And then God said to him, Paul, I'm not going to do it. Now listen to what he said. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. For when you are weak... That is when you're strong. You know what God's saying to you today? It's when you realize that you aren't independent. And you aren't self-sufficient. God's saying, you know, when you realize you're weak, that you really are. He said, you know what happens? My strength is made perfect in your weak. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My grace is sufficient my strength 
is made perfect in your weakness. And when you realize that you're weak, that's when you're strong. You know, Jesus said, if you hear my sayings and do them, you're like a wise man that built his house upon a rock. And the storm came and he stood. I think there's a basic truth of what it means for Jesus to be not only to be our life, but to be the strength of our life. There's just a basic truth. And I want you to open your Bible to John 15. And and I just want to take a moment and say to you, now now here's the key. If you want to be prepared for whatever God brings into your life or allows in your life, then a part of Jesus being your strength and your life is just learning by the Spirit's teaching how to abide in Christ. This, this is a powerful, powerful passage. And I want to say this to you. If you are abiding in Christ, I'm not saying you won't have any storms. But I'm saying that Jesus will either calm the storm or he'll give you the strength to go through it. And you'll come out stronger on the other side. If you're abiding in Christ. Notice what he says. In verse 4 of John 15. It's so personal. Put your name here. It says, abide in me, Fred, your name. And I, Jesus, in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. It can't be independent and self-sufficient. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he says it. It can't be any more personal than this. I'm the vine. Fred, Bill, Sue, Jane, whoever. You're a branch. I'm the vine. And you're a branch. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Your your life is going to be fruitful and strong. For without me, he said, you can do nothing. But he said, now, if you don't abide in me, you're going to wither up when the storm comes. Listen to the next verse. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. They gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, I mean, you're abiding in him. You will ask what you will. You you ask what you desire, and it shall be done. My Father will be glorified when you bear much fruit. You know, you have to understand what it means. And, And I think the Lord showed me. In, in, in a personal way, what it means to abide in Christ. First of all, to abide in Christ, you have to realize, now this is very important, that the life is not in yourself. The life is in the vine. It's Jesus' life. It's his life. I am the vine, okay? Now we all know that 
Life flows through the vine to the branch. And if you break the branch off, it's going to wither up and die because the life was not in the branch. It was in the vine. And the, vine, the life of the vine flowed into the branch. This is what Jesus said. Now, I am the life. If you abide in me, my life will just fill you and flow into you. And you will be very alive because as the vine, my life is in you and flows in you. And that's where your strength is and that's where your life is. So there couldn't be any better example of what it means for Jesus to be our life and strength than for him to be the vine where the life is and that we're connected to him through faith, repentance and faith, and his life becomes our life. Hey, the life in the branch is the same life that's in the vine, the same life. And so we got to realize that Jesus is our life. He is. It says in Colossians, when Christ, who is our life, appears. You know what it also says in that passage? For you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus said, if you hear my sayings and do them, in the storms, you're going to stand. And one of his teachings is, now you abide in me, and I will abide in you. You know, I think abiding means that, that you just love him supremely. That you love him above all other. You know what Jesus said that was startling? These are the words of Jesus. He said in Luke, uh, Matthew 10, 34, he said, If anyone loves father or mother or brother or sister more than me, he's not worthy of me. Jesus said, you're supposed to love your father. You're supposed to love your mother. You're supposed to love your son. You're supposed to love your daughter. But I'm telling you, if you love anybody... More than you love me. You can't be my disciple. So abiding in Christ is not only realizing he's our life, but asking the Holy Spirit to produce in us a supreme love for Jesus. That he will be the supreme love of our life. And you know, nothing will keep you from sin like loving Jesus. Because it's hard to sin against somebody that you love. But I believe there's another aspect of this abiding. It's not only loving Jesus supremely as our life, but there's also the truth of, of getting to know Jesus. And I said, Lord, <clears throat> Jesus, you show me in your words why important it's so important to get close to you and to get intimate with you and to know you. And man, he did. I want to show you something. Turn in your Bible. To John chapter 10. Jesus is talking here about, look, it's not a matter of me being in heaven and you being on earth. It's a matter of me having come into your life in the person of the Holy Spirit and I live inside of you. Friend, I'm telling you, that's a revolutionary truth. Christ in you, the hope of God's glory. Crucified with Christ, Christ lives in me. And, and, and he's talking about 
Abiding in Christ is not only knowing He's our life and allowing Him to flow into us and loving Him supreme, but man, it's getting intimate with Him. Not knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus. John 10, 10. John 10, 9. I'm the door. Jesus said, I'm the door. You've you got to go through me and know me. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he'll go in and out and find pasture. The last part of verse 10, he said, you know, I've come that you might have life in me and have it more abundantly. So you get to know me, there's abundant life. And then listen to verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. Well, I guarantee you the sheep knew the shepherd. He was their security. He was their safety. He was their leader. Without him, they would wander and just starve to death. But he said to them, listen, I'm the good shepherd. That's intimate, knowing who Jesus is. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Boy, get this. You're talking about personal? Verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And I've known, I have known my sheep. And I'm known by my own. You know what Jesus said? I know you. I know my sheep. And by the way, you know me. See, that's what it means to abide in Christ. It's not to know about Jesus, but it's to know Jesus. That he is your life. And that you love him supremely. Jesus said, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, the wise man that built his house on a rock. And the storm came. And it stood because it was founded on a rock. But it also means abiding in Christ. It means to seek Him. I love Matthew 5, 6 where Jesus said, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's Jesus. For they shall be filled. I got to thinking, abiding in Christ. Man, that's knowing that He is my life. And it, his life in the vine flows to me. And, and it's asking God to let me love Jesus more than anyone else on this earth. And it's realizing that I've got to, that he, is, he knows me and he wants me to know him as a good shepherd. And that he told me to seek him. Hunger and thirst after me. Righteousness and you shall be filled. And then he said, please me. You know what he said in Matthew 5, 8? Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, listen, we've got to realize that Jesus is our life and our strength. And we have to abide in him. And as we abide in him, he he lives in us and he lives through us. And his grace is sufficient for us. And his strength is made perfect in in our weakness. I try to define what it means to uh, abide in Christ. It means that you rely on him. You're not relying on your own wisdom and knowledge. Thank God for the wisdom you have. But you're relying on him. You rely on Jesus. You cling to Jesus. In every area of your life, you just cling to him. You rely on him. You cling to him. You look to him in every situation. What, what, what is it, Lord, that you're doing here? And why is this going on 
and, 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 and what are you saying to me and how do you want to be strong in me? You rely on him. You cling to him. You look to him. You trust him. You just trust him. You just trust him. I don't know uh, when I said this, but it just seemed to get on my mind. It may have been Wednesday night. It's when, you, when it's all over and we go to be with Jesus, we're going re- to look and see that throughout our life there was the unseen hand of God. For God, we didn't even weren't aware of it, but we were trusting him. He just c- picked us up. He would, we were just in his hands. And we said, boy, isn't that amazing how that worked out? Well, why? Because you were guided by the unseen hand of God. And you'll come back and you'll look back on your life and you'll see the pitfalls that you missed and the holes you didn't fall in and the way God kept you safe simply because you were trusting Him and looking to Him and relying on Him and there was the unseen hand of God. Hey, by the way, how many times have you heard this? But if you're not there, you'll get there. When you don't understand God's hand, you've got to trust His heart. You ask me if I understand half of the things that have gone on in my life. Not really. But you know, when I don't understand His hand, then I trust His heart. Because He's good. He has agape love for you. He always wants what's highest and best for you. Always. Always. Agape. God loves. He always wants what's highest and best for you compared to the devil who steals and kills and destroys. Jesus said, if you hear my sayings and do them, you're prepared, you're ready for the storm. You know, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But let me move on and talk to you about the second way. That you prepare. Are, are you, you're doing what Jesus said. And uh, if you do what he says. Your life's on a rock. Not only looking to and trusting in Jesus. As your life. He lives in you. And as your strength. And not living in your power. Okay. But the second one is. Our relationship with others. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And. Love your neighbor. As yourself. Matthew 22. The great commandment. Do you realize. Now I'm talking about our relationship with people. That's the way we do the teach. Hear the sayings of Jesus and do them. And our life is solid. He said. um, Do you realize that. uh, Jesus said that. Our relationship with others. Is so, 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 so important. He told us to, to, to love each other. And you say, I know that, Brother Fred, but I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. And, and he says about loving each other. See, we, we, you, know, you know what life is made up of? Life is made up of relationships. Hey, life consists of my relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And life consists of my relationship to you on a daily basis. 
And both of them are, are very, very significant. Listen, people are not a problem. They're an opportunity. They're not a burden. They're an open door. Don't be like a friend of mine, and I'm not sure if he meant it or not. He was in the ministry, and he said the ministry wouldn't be too bad if it wasn't for people. No, it's all about people. You see, it's all about people. You love God, and you love people. And in Matthew 5, he told us how that we were to love each other. In verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, now this is Jesus, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. You know, uh, the Lord just reminded me of how we're to love each other. There are two examples. One, I want to take a man just like you and me. His name was Stephen. And he, 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 was, he was a deacon. And he gave a great message about who Christ was and what Christ did and how he died on the cross for their sins and God raised him from the dead and hope for, for salvation was in Jesus. And uh, it just infuriated the Jews and those Pharisees. And you know what they did? They stoned him to death. But you know what he said to, uh, to the father about him when they were stoning him? Father, would you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. Boy, that's what you call loving your enemies and blessing those that curse you. Did you know that everybody should have loved Jesus, but multitudes hated him? But you know, he still loved them. And I want you to listen to me right now. This world is full of people who hate Jesus. They wouldn't say that, but they do by their lifestyle. They curse Jesus. They blaspheme Jesus. It's where it's full of people. But can I tell you one thing about Jesus? He loves every one of them. He hates their sin, but he loves them. In fact, he died for them. And it's not his will that they should perish. You say, that's amazing love, Brother Fred. That the very people that hate him and curse him and blaspheme him and, and uh, mock him. That, well, what did he say on the cross to those that nailed him there? What did he say? Father, would you send a bolt of lightning and kill every one of them? That's not what he said. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know what Jesus said for us? We're to love each other. And it's the love of God in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love. You say, Brother Fred, it's, some people are so lovable. Yeah, I know that. But what about those that are unlovable? <clears throat> you can only love that way by the love of Christ. Jesus said, if you just love those who love you, 
You know better than the publicans. So he told us to love each other. I'm talking about this is the teaching of Jesus. But you know what else he said? Boy, and he really, really nailed this. And I'm going to kind of wind this up with this. He said to forgive each other. Man, he, he just really leveled the ground about you and I forgiving each other. I, I called a, a lady called me the other day. It used to be in our church in uh, Cottage Hill. And I always called her my, her thorn in my flesh, you know, because she was just always doing crazy stuff. And she, she loved God. She said, Brother Fred, my brother-in-law was dying, and, and uh, I needed this witness to him. And so I said, what I, I, she had a bunch of CDs of mine. She said, I'm just going <coughs> to go back and listen to the CDs of Brother Fred, and then I, I'm going to go in there and talk to him about it. And she said, I listened about 10, and you said the same thing 10 times. I said, what was that? She said, you've got to forgive each other. Do you know, I hope I did say that 10 times. That's the heart of it. Because we, we live a life of relationships. I mean, let's face it. We, we have relationships with each other. Husbands and wives and parents and children and classmates and church uh, family. I mean, we're in relationships. And sometimes people aren't nice and sometimes people don't treat, treat us right. And sometimes we feel rejected and sometimes we feel hurt. Hey, well, okay. I don't like that any more than you do. But I'll tell you one thing. Jesus made it clear. You can have no unforgiveness in your heart. You can have no bitterness in your heart. If you do, you are in serious trouble. And boy, the storm is going to wipe you out if you have unforgiveness in your heart. Let me read to you from the Lord's Prayer in verse... Um, 11 of Matthew 6. Give, forgive us this day our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespassed against us. Do you want God to forgive you like you forgive others? And then he goes on and says. Now listen to this. Boy, this is strong. For if you forgive men their trespasses. Your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. You say, well, wait a minute now. That sounds like works. If I don't forgive them, God's not going to forgive me. You know why he can't forgive you? Because you hadn't forgiven them. Now, once you forgive them, God can forgive you for your unforgiveness. You know, it's easy to say you forgive somebody. But... Uh, it's another thing when uh, you get around them and all these things rise up in you. Boy, I tell you, forgiveness it has to be a work of God in our hearts. God has to give us the grace to forgive. You know, probably one of the most disturbing passages in all the Bible, and Jesus gave it. And I, I am telling you, it is very, very disturbing. And I'm going to tell you where it is so you can read it, and I encourage you, but it's too long for me to read the whole thing. But here was the deal. Matthew 18, 24. There was a man who owed his employer 
10, I'm going to use a figure, $10 million. And back then they had debtor's prison. And the employer went to the man and said, pay me my debt, $10 million. He said, if you don't, I'm going to put you and your wife and your kids in debtor's prison. The man pleaded and begged his employer, pleaded and begged him to give him time to pay the debt. He could never pay it. He'd never in his whole lifetime make that money. But he begged him. He sure couldn't make it if he's in prison. And he begged him. And you know what the master did? Finally, he said, you know what? I'm going to forgive you of that whole debt. You don't owe me anything. Now that is forgiving a debt of 10. He said, I forgive you. Now, now can you get this? This same man had a, a, an affiliate, an associate that owed him $100. He owed him $100. Now Jesus told this story. And so he goes to the man. Now he's been forgiven $10 million. He goes to the man who owes him $100 and says, pay me my $100. He said, I don't have it, but I will. He said, you pay me now or you're going to debtor's prison. He said, I can't. And you know what he did? The guy that had been given 10, forgiven $10 million took the man who owed $100 and had him put in prison. Well, some of the people saw this. And they went to the master and said, do you know so-and-so that you get, forgave that debt of $10 million? He said, oh, yeah, I know, I know him. He said, you know what he did? There was a man that owed him $100. And he wouldn't forgive him. And that man's in prison today. Well, buddy, the master, you talk about getting upset. He said, go get that man. And the man came, he said, look, are, are you telling me that I forgave you $10 million and you wouldn't even forgive that man $100 and he's in prison because of it? He said, i tell you what you're going to do. He said, I'm going to turn you over, the guy that had forgiven the $10 million, I'm going to turn you over to the tormentors for the rest of your life. You say, Brother Fred, that's pretty strong. Yeah. Jesus has forgiven you of $10 million. He's forgiven you of a multitude of sins. But you can't forgive that other person who's offended you. You see the parallel of the story? You say, but Brother Fred, I've been wounded and it hurts. And you don't know the pain I've been through. I do so. I do. I saw a man recently that could not have done me any wronger than he did. And he'd always go out of the way to come up to me. And for a long time, any time he did, I just, I just didn't like it. But I had made a choice to forgive him. But he came up to me recently, and I hugged him and just spoke to him for three minutes. And you know what I told him? I said, I want you to know I love you. And can I say something? I do love him. Do I like what he did to me? 
Never in a thousand years. But I love him. Because I think of all the things that I've done that would hurt someone else. I hope and pray they have forgiven me and they love me. You say, but Brother Fred, I can't do it in my own power. That's what I know. That's why relationships have to begin with Jesus. And out of your relationship with Jesus comes the ability to love others and, and, and to forgive them. Friend, I tell you, the greatest sin of the church is bitterness and unforgiveness. That's the greatest sin of the church. And you'll never be free. You'll be tormented until you forgive. And forgiveness does not mean approval. And then the last thing about loving people, relationships, is we love each other, we forgive each other, we submit to each other. We don't try to rule it over people. I'm more important than you. You're more important than me. No. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Praise God. At the foot of the cross, there are no big shots and little shots. They're just shots that God put there. I don't know where I got that from. I don't know what a shot is. But I'm telling you. I know one thing. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You may be impressed with yourself more than others. But God isn't. God loves people. And that's why we need to realize that I, I, I am to esteem others better than myself. You talk about hard. But I'm telling you, it's, it's a key to being ready for the storm. I'd hate to think I was laying on my dying bed and thought of all the people that I was bitter toward and unforgiving toward. And the storm had come, or, or I was battling a disease, or I was having an affliction on me. And, 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 and all I could think of was, you know, I, I don't deserve this. And just eaten up. I'm telling you, we've got to be ready for the storms. And the way we do is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm going to close with this verse. The Lord just kept bringing it to me. You know, um, marriage is wonderful. It's wonderful. But it does have its times, doesn't it? I mean, it has its times. You, you sometimes say, well, I'm married to the most wonderful man in this world. And he says, I'm married to the most wonderful woman in this world. And then sometimes you say, I wish he'd get lost. How did I get burdened with her the rest of my life? You know the verse that just gets me. In Ephesians, Paul was just talking about husbands love your wife like Christ loved the church. And, 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 and nourish her and cherish her. But then he closed with this saying. Husband, love your wife. And wife, respect your husband. And I said now, wait a minute, Lord. You, you told me to love my wife. But you told her. To respect me. Well, you can't respect a person that you don't love. So I want to ask you men, do you love your wife? Like Christ loved the church? Nourish her, cherish her. She's precious to you. Do you love your wife like Christ loved the church? But I want to ask you ladies. Do you respect your husband? Well, I, I used to, Brother Fred, but he did so-and-so and did so-and-so and did so-and-so, and, so and, so and, so and, so and I've lost all respect for him. Let me tell you something. 
God didn't say for you to respect your husband if he was perfect. Because you'd never respect anybody. He said, husbands, love your wives. And wives, respect your husband. You say, well, I've lost all respect. Ask God to restore it. I don't love my wife like I used to. Then ask God to restore it. Because it's called relationships. Relationships. And I'm telling you, you're ready for the storm if you love God and you love people. That's what exactly what Jesus said.